God's plans require time. To actualize the role God wills for our lives, we must faithfully live in anticipation despite how it appears to us. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. In today's sermon, Faithfully Waiting on God's Time, taken from 1 Samuel 16, we will look at how David's selection as king wasn't an instant change for him, but rather a process which took time. Looking at David, hopefully we can learn how we can respond to a promise from God that will take time to be fulfilled, namely eternal life, but also any other role God desires us to fill for his purposes in the church. The best thing that we could ever do is appropriately respond to the grace that God has given us and actualize the purposes that he has for us in this life. Because if we don't do that, what we'll find out is that God will replace us with somebody who has a heart for him. And we might still be in the same position thinking that we're fulfilling God's role, but all the while we're heading further and further away from God. So it's important to consider our heart to God. And as we go through 1 Samuel, we have looked at the selection of Samuel as a replacement for Eli and his sons because they were unfaithful priests. We have looked at a selection of the first king in Saul because the people wanted to be like the other nations and have somebody lead them out and to and from battle. And we saw how this failed man in his worship to God actually lost what God was trying to give him, which was the kingdom. And while it appears at one point of view that Saul is still king, he has power, from a heavenly perspective, he is no longer the king of Israel. And he is just a placeholder until the one that God selects is ready to take the throne. So as we read 1 Samuel 16, I want us to keep in mind that we have to be mindful of how we respect God and his word and, and be obedient to it because we could be in a position which from a human perspective looks like we're where God wants us to be from a spiritual understanding we'll be far from God and nobody will know it except for God and those who are godly and he'll have somebody to replace you because you're not doing his will if that's where you are. But also we can be in a position to where we have been given something by God and it's just not time to receive it. In a bigger sense, we know that's the case with our eternal salvation. It has been given to us at our baptism. We have the Holy Spirit as a seal, as our earnest deposit and we will fully receive it when God chooses to send Jesus back. But we live in anticipation for it. And we have to go through everything we have to go through to receive it. So in some situations, people with a, a heart against God are living as a Saul. They appear to be in control. And in other situations, people who have a promise of God who have been given a position but haven't fully obtained it, they're living like David, in faith knowing that God has something for
for them. And as we reach the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel, what we have is the introduction of David, but also it's done in the midst of this Saul who has been shown that he is no longer going to be the king over God's people. We'll read the chapter in its entirety, and there's a few points to uh, pull out, and then the lesson to be yours. 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came on David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit comes from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. 
Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. And whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. David's selection as the next king is intriguing, but it aligns with a lot of the other people that God chose to lead his people. It was not by man's choice. It was not by man's reasoning or understanding. In the Bible throughout, we have instances where the younger is selected over the older, and this is a sign that God is choosing the person to lead whom he has called to him. So we have Isaac and Esau. One would naturally think Abraham's firstborn would be the leader of God's people. But no, God says it's going to be through Sarah. And Isaac is born. And he's chosen. And then we have, with Isaac, he has these two... Um, these two sons, Esau and Jacob. And one would naturally think that the older is going to lead these kids and know it is Jacob, the younger, because the Lord has chosen him. And then Jacob has these 12 boys, and the one that leads is actually the fourthborn in Judah, the lion's whelp. Because God is choosing based on a criteria that he has where he's reading people's hearts. Because man has shown over and over again that he is inadequate in selecting the right person in whom to lead him as God wants. So he gives them a Saul, the tallest person in Israel, <laughs> whom everybody gets behind. And Saul proves not to be the person whom will lead them as God wants. And so he tells Samuel, go select the one that I choose to lead my people. And he goes to Jesse's house. And what does Saul say? It must be Eliab. That's a big man right there. That's somebody that I would follow after. And what God reveals to Samuel is this not him nor those six boys after him but it is a young boy out there guarding those sheep and what I see in him is a heart it's a heart that will lead my people after me it's almost like Abraham what God says is, I know that Abraham will raise his family up to follow me. And so he selects Abraham out of all the people in the world to start this, this family in which will follow God and grow and grow and then lead to Jesus Christ, which will call people out of this world into a heavenly kingdom. And it's all done by God's choosing and he's measuring people's heart not their appearance not the 
the, the, the uh, abilities he's given them, not the materials, not their talents, but their heart. And that's something that only God can truly see. And so we must learn not to look at ourselves, not to look at others as man does, but to ask God to discern for us so how we can see into the hearts of individuals and even into the heart of ourselves so that we can test our hearts to see if we're really after what God wants us to be. Or are we trying to get some something in this life as a Saul? who we'll see later in scripture, where he'll have the kingdom. And he knows that David is selected to be the next king, but he goes out fighting him, trying to keep what God has said, I'm taking from you and giving to him because he doesn't want to lose it. But what God has shown is that in his selection, he is sovereign and he doesn't need anybody's approval or consultation to make the choices that he's making. And so he removes Saul, replaces him with David. And it's not an immediate thing. And so we're taught that we have to be patient and wait on God to give us what he has freely provided. Because if we don't do that, what will happen is we'll start to lose faith and we'll start to look at the promises that God has given us and we'll waver in it. And we'll say, you know what, God hasn't given it to me, so it's not mine because of this, because of that. But all God is saying is it's not the time. So as we learn not to look at ourselves, as we learn not to look at others with human eyes, we also must learn to wait on God's time for what God has given us. Because in the, in the fullness of time, God's going to provide everything that he has promised us and it'll work itself out and so we see that David as he selected he's not first put on the throne he is first brought into Saul's service as someone who can play the lyre the harp to soothe this evil spirit that comes over Saul, to be an armor bearer in his army, to provide some type of service for the king in which he will one day replace. And then I think God is teaching David something. He's seeing this position that he's going to have, but also he's seeing what happens when you're in that position and your heart is not towards God. That just as God can put a good spirit in you, he can put an evil spirit in you as well. And when that evil spirit comes upon you, the only remedy that we have is a godly answer. So Saul has an evil spirit. And what, it, what needs to happen is a man with a godly spirit plays a harp to help him overcome that. And so sometimes we must recognize that the solution is not in the substance, but the one who is actually behind 
the strength of the, the, the substance. So it's not in the fact that David just plays a liar. It's in the fact that David has a heart for God and is selected by God to be in that position. And as God's servant, he plays a liar. And that's what Saul. saw. So we must be aware of the gifts and talents that we have as well. Because while we're being selected by God and, and, and he has sovereignty in that choice, he's also given us talents so that we can utilize for his purposes, for his benefits, and also for the benefit of others, even if they have been, dare I say, cursed by God. They received some type of God's wrath and God uses a godly person to subdue some of that wrath. And we might be that person that does that. And it's not as if Saul is going to be saved. It's just that Saul gets some relief because of the mercy of God. And it causes us to consider. On one side, there's mercy on another side, there's wrath. But in all of that, the person who's going through that, Saul. Samuel has some type of affinity for him. Because when Samuel recognizes that Saul is no longer the king, he grieves for it. Moses says, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him? We have people that we mourn for that God has rejected because they are not who God is choosing, one, and they also have rejected God. But we still have some affinity for them, and we still mourn for the fact that they're in some spiritual lost condition but we still have to be faithful to God so you can love a person and keep your distance recognizing that they're away from God and that God is, is doing something in their life and God is selecting somebody else to fulfill a role that they haven't done and we can still be faithful to God and all of that It gives us insight into to, to the manifold wisdom of God. Because sometimes we see people and we just see it as cut and dry. If God selected you, then you're going to have that position and you're going to do it. If God has rejected you, you're going to be removed from that position and you're not no longer going to do it. Where God is saying, no, I'm working out things in my time for specific purposes so that when a person is in line with my will, they will be built up to do what it is that I'm calling them to do. So David, you're going to be king. Everybody in this house sees that. Everybody in this house recognizes that you were anointed on a specific day and were told before us all that you're going to be king. Get back to tending those sheep. Saul the king wants you 
so that you can play the liar for him when he has an evil spirit so that it will soothe him. Saul the king wants you to stay with him and you could be his armor bearer. And all David has in the back of his mind is this promise from God. And he still has to do service for the person fulfilling that role that he one day will have. And we find ourselves a lot of times in a position like David, knowing that God has called us to something greater than what people see. And the best thing that we can do is be faithful to God and give service to God's people, to those whom God has put in positions, so that when we are in that same position or we are where God wants us to be, we will be fully matured and we'll be able to go about doing what God wants us to do without faltering, in faith, understanding the severity of what we were called to, also knowing that we have a God who can strengthen us through it all. And so we learn not to look at ourselves as people do. We learn to see ourselves as God sees us to some extent. And understand that what he's doing in us, as we saw in Ephesians, is actually on display to the heavenly realms. And it's not just what we're limited to understanding about this life. And that the blessings that we have, they are secure no matter what we have to do to get them. Which is only the obedience. Have faith and live your life with the understanding of what God wants from you. But also, also with the faith to say, I'm going to wait for God to give it to me on his terms. And we won't have to worry about what a man could take from us because God's given it to us. We don't have to worry about how a person sees us because we recognize how God sees us. And we won't have to worry about what we have to go through to obtain it because it's going to be presented to us at the appropriate time. Our introduction to David is, is, is intriguing because in it, we see that God is totally sovereign in his selection of people and also very specific in the roles that he has for us. So we'll read in the New Testament that each person is given a spiritual gift for the upbuilding and the unification of the body. Very specific. Very purposeful. And that's for each person. So we all have a role to play. We all have a, 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 a purpose to fulfill. And it's found in the unification of God's body. In the glorification of Christ. In the upbuilding of the church. In the participation of the kingdom of God. So that when we see 
history brought to its culmination with Jesus coming back from heaven, descending on a cloud, we have a hopeful expectation that he will say, well done, my faithful servant. Because we lived out our purpose. We didn't worry about how other people judged us or saw us. And we knew that what God is giving us, namely eternal salvation, nobody could take it from us. But that's predicated on how we respond to God's commands. So last week we talked about the importance of worship and having a heart for God. And Samuel tells them, isn't obedience better than sacrifice? And so as we have put our hope in God, as we have taken out times of our lives to study it, and as we have done what God has commanded us, let's never, let's never lose hope in the salvation that we have guaranteed for us. Because we'll go through things. And to others, it might look like God's not with us, but he is. And while scripture doesn't tell those times that that David fought that lion, took that sheep from that bear, I would risk saying that it, 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 it happened after God's spirit came upon him. After he was went to his brothers and was anointed before them to be the next king of Israel and sent back out to be the shepherd for the sheep of his fathers, that he had a confidence that God has selected me to be a king so that this problem, this lion, this bear, it's not going to destroy me because I still have something that God has given me. So I could go out and take that sheep. I could go out and be the man that God has called me to be, whatever role it is, because I know that the one that he's got me for, I'm actually going to get. And we have that same confidence. Paul writes in Ephesians, because we're in Christ, we have a confidence to approach God with freedom, asking him through our prayers for what only he can give us. So let's do that. Be bold in our faith, be bold in our prayers, and be bold in our convictions because our hope is assured and our God is powerful and he's very purposeful in who he chooses and he's chosen us and very he has a specific plan for us to fulfill so let's do it we've all been given a gift let's utilize it and I'm not saying that you're not it's just an encouragement as we continue to go on because God loves us and we love God, we want to do all that we can to show the appreciation we have for him and what he has called us from. That's what David does with his life. Saul doesn't. And we see both sides of the coin. A person who does what God wants and patiently waits for it. A person given something great by God who is disobedient, whose heart's not towards God, and God takes it from him. And they both have to wait on God. And they both, they both 
have to do what God ultimately wants. And that's Saul being removed from the king, the throne, and that's David being placed on that throne. And there's nothing that can stop that because their hearts have aligned them on the ways of God's path that he has set for those who obey and those who disobey. And so my hope is we never get discouraged. That in those times where it gets a little bit rough, we remember our baptism. We remember the promise that we were given, that you have been given the Holy Spirit. We remember the hope that we have, that it's an eternal hope that's after this life, and it's not based upon what I'm going through right now. So that whatever role we find ourselves in, we can find it trusting in God. And doing what we are called to do with the best of our ability, even if that means it's in service for somebody whom God has rejected. Because it's not really for them we're doing it. It's for God who's put us in that role. And we do that. We'll find peace. We'll find holiness. And I wonder, as Saul was soothed by some of those times that David played the lie, were some of those the songs that David wrote? Because he was the songstress of Israel. And we find comfort in some of David's songs. So there's something to that. David given the gift that still that still benefits God's people. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon in the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.